Now let's turn in our Bibles today to Paul's letter to the Galatian church, epistle of Paul to Galatians, and we're going to read in chapter 1, and we're going to read down to verse 12. Galatians chapter 1, and we'll read from verses 1 through to 12. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galata, grace be to you, and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after men. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 12. And we know God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text this morning is really taken from Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 to 12 that I've read in your hearing. And my theme today is defending and declaring the true gospel of Christ. I believe that it is an essential that we have a clear scriptural understanding of the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Today in the 21st century, sadly within the whole of Christendom, there are many false gospels being preached, not only in our own land, but in other lands. Yes, of course, we're thankful to God that there's still the true apostolic real New Testament Christianity being proclaimed from many Protestant pulpits. But we also must recognize that there's an apostate Christianity that has taken root in the land and has grown itself into almost like a great green bay tree. Now our duty and our responsibility is to recognize these counterfeits expose them as being false, totally reject and repudiate them. And how do we do that? By defending and declaring the one true gospel of God revealed in the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ. Now that is what the apostle Paul is doing in this epistle to the churches of Galatia. 
The Apostle Paul, in his first missionary journey, had laboured in the province of Galatia. And under God, a number of churches had been established there. And toward the end of his first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas retraced their steps, revisited these churches, strengthened them. Believers were exhorted to hold fast the form of sound words. The elders were ordained uh, into office. Uh, The government of the church was affirmed. There was stability uh, and there was growth for the work of God. And to uh, an amazing degree, there was wonderful progress for the glory of God as the gospel was advanced. And then two years later, on the second missionary journey, this time the apostle Paul with Silas revisited the churches. He wanted to know how they were getting on. And you can read about that in Acts chapter 16, verses 5 and 6. Now, a short time after that second missionary journey, as he revisited these churches really for the third time, he discovered that a big problem arose. And it was for that reason that he had to write this epistle to the churches at Galatia. What had happened? Certain men had come to the church and they tried to convince the congregation that in order to be truly saved, they needed to adhere to circumcision. They needed to keep the law of God, the Ten Commandments. That that they needed some of the rituals and the ceremonies of the Jewish religion in order to be right with God. Now these false teachers, of course, they attacked the Apostle Paul. They attacked, first of all, his ministry. They cast doubt in his apostleship. They were saying, he's not a true apostle. He's not like the other apostles. He wasn't with the Lord Jesus at the very start. He didn't spend three and a half years living with the Lord Jesus. He's not really one of the twelve. And then they attacked his message. They said, well, Paul told you and taught you something of the gospel. That was very good. But that's not enough. Paul left certain things out. He he left bits off. He, He didn't tell you the whole story. He knows you need to keep the customs and ways of the Jewish religion to be right with God, especially circumcision. They would have argued, why do you think that he got Timothy circumcised? Now, this attack prompted an immediate response from Paul. Hence, Galatia is known as an emergency epistle. It was written in haste. Now, this wasn't an attack on the Apostle Paul as far as his own person was concerned. It was not really about him at all. After all, he endured much hardship for the gospel's sake. He told Timothy to endure hardness as a good soldier in Jesus Christ. No, this attack, it wasn't on Paul per se. This was really an attack on the gospel. These false teachers were teaching a different gospel. Listen to what he said. I marvel, that means I'm amazed that you're so soon, that's from after your conversion, from the time that I've been with you, removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. Now that's very important. It's of a different kind, he says. 
He proceeds immediately to confirm his apostleship. Paul was not prepared to let this go unchallenged. He had a very short introduction after mentioning and confirming his apostleship. And then he dives straight in to defend the gospel, to declare the gospel. The language is very strong, it's robust, it's dogmatic. Paul's on a mission that there must be a return to the true, simple gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe, of course, in the 21st century, what we need in the church is a rediscovery of the gospel. I want us to think of three things this morning. I want you to think, firstly, of the source of the true gospel. Look with me at verse 12. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, the Apostle Paul knew, first of all, that what was needed in Galatia was a proper understanding, what was a a, a recognition of the true source of the gospel. Where did the gospel come from? Who invented the gospel? Who, who, Who initiated this message? And the answer is God himself. Think of these words but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. The word revelation means unveiling. The gospel I preached, Paul says, was not produced by me. I simply proclaimed it. The gospel I preached wasn't started by me. I I, I simply spoke it forth and shared it abroad. The message that I preached wasn't my own. I didn't invent it. It wasn't originally sourced by me. I was taught it, he says, not by men. Didn't receive it of men, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. And if you remember back in the Gospel of Mark, in Mark chapter 1, we read there a a tremendous statement about the Gospel. Mark chapter 1, and in the verse 1, we read these words. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You see, the gospel is not of man nor by man. Man didn't invent the gospel. The church didn't originate the gospel. The gospel is not a collection of wee stories. Young people, boys and girls, it's not the stuff of myths and legends. It's not fairy tales. It's not folklore. It's not the traditions of men. No, the gospel is of God. It's it's by God. It's God's gospel. The late Dr. Paisley used to say before the gospel had its reception in man's heart, It had its conception in the heart and mind of God. I want you to be clear this morning. The gospel is not the product of a church. It's not the product of scholars. It's not the product of a school of university. It's the product of God. Its origin isn't earthly at all. Its origin is heavenly. The gospel owes its very existence to God. Let me make it clear the gospel is all true this morning. The gospel's about real people in real time. 
real historical events are told from Genesis to Revelation. Think of Adam and Eve, historical people. Abraham was a real human being. The story of Noah and the ark was true. The fall of the Tower of Babel, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot's wife becoming a pillar of salt, the battle of Jericho, Daniel in the den of lions, Jonah and the whale. All these stories in the Bible are absolutely true. And you know what? We need to get a hold of this because we have lost sight of this in our day and generation. Is it not true that the world is full of false religion, counterfeit Christianity, millions of followers? Think of Islam. Think of Hinduism. Think of Buddhism. Think of the cults, Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses. Think of Roman Catholicism. Think of apostate Protestantism with the emergence of liberalism and modernistic theology. And it's spread all over Europe. It's in the United Kingdom. It's affecting this very province. And there's churches today who do not know what the gospel is. And of course we have churches that have got a user-friendly a approach. And they're known for what they don't preach rather than being known for what they do preach. Can I sum it all up? When you think of the world's religion, when you think of the cults, when you think of apostate Protestant, you know what you've got? In summary, you've got the teaching of men. When I think of the book called the Haran, when I think of the book of Mormons, you've got the writings of men. Look at verse 11. Look at Galatians 1 verse 11. But I certify you. In other words, I'm declaring. I'm making it known. I'm telling the truth. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. He didn't receive it of man. He wasn't a man pleaser. It wasn't taught by man. How did he receive it? But by the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, it's all been revealed to me. It's, it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. I want you to think of the authority of Paul's message. It wasn't the word of men. It wasn't the words of a nobody. It was the words of the one true and living God. Paul says, I was given the gospel. It was revealed to me. It was unveiled to me. That's what the word revelation means. An unveiling of Jesus Christ. Think of the accuracy of the gospel. It's true. God cannot lie. God doesn't deal in lies. The Shorter Catechism teaches what is God. God is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. And what's the very last thing it says? It is truth. What is truth? Pilate asked. And here's the answer. Thy word is truth. The Lord Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The Lord Jesus is the very embodiment of the truth. And the, the psalmist in Psalm 119, and in the verse um, 660 
uh, made a tremendous statement whenever we think about the, the truth of God's word. He said, thy word is true from the beginning. And every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Think about the availability of the gospel. This is a message that's suited to the need of lost sinners everywhere. The gospel is a message best suited to the needs of men. How does the Bible depict mankind? They depict mankind as a fallen, guilty, hell-deserving sinner in Adam. It depicts mankind as being unholy and unclean, outside of Christ, born with their back to God and their face toward hell. And not, not a nice, not a great picture, not, not a glowing picture, but a picture that needs to be seen, a message that needs to be heard and heeded. Men need to face up to their sin problem, face up that they've got a soul, face up that they need God's salvation, face up that they've got to repent and believe the gospel. Think of the antiquity of the gospel. We can trace it back to Genesis 3 and 15, to the first gospel promise given to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden after the fall into sin. Think of the ability of the gospel. See, the gospel from the day God gave it hasn't changed. The gospel's the same for every man. The gospel's the same in every generation. The, the gospel abides. There's only one true gospel. And the gospel, of course, is the power to change and transform lives. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. You see, young people, children, this is not just an old story. We, we sometimes sing, tell me the old, old story. But it wasn't something dreamt up by the church. I want to make that clear. This is not the invention of the Free Presbyterian Church. This is not something that's like once upon a time that you read in Cinderella or something like that. This, this is a, a message from God. It's the good news of God. And the good news is that the gospel can change a man from the inside out, transform his life. That's the source of the gospel. Notice, secondly and quickly, the summary of the true gospel. You see, well, what is the gospel? I, I've already told you in the past, the gospel's a message from God. It starts with God. Let, let's never forget that. The gospel is a message from God about his remedy for human sinfulness. That brings in the doctrine of human sin. Romans 3 and 23. Romans 5 and verse 12, Wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. We sinned in Adam, we fell in Adam, we inherited the guilt of his first transgression. We became polluted sinners in Adam. It's a message from God that centers in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the heart of the gospel is about the person and work of Christ. The, the key thing is, what think ye of Christ? Is Christ all that you need? Only Christ? Is Christ enough? Is Christ sufficient this morning? If we asked the Judaizers, they would say no. If we asked the Mormons, they would say no. If we asked Roman Catholic theologians and priests, they would say no. They would say you need something else. See, they want to add to Christ. But I've already told you before in a simple sum, Christ plus nothing equals everything. Christ plus anything else. Any addition to Christ, and you've nothing. You're corrupting the gospel. This is a message from God that summons sinners everywhere to repent and believe. 
Have you repented and believed the gospel? It's a message from God for believers to persevere in holiness and loving obedience to God. Perseverance is the fruit of the new life in Christ, not the ground. Never could be the ground. Perseverance is a working out what God has already worked in. It's a message from God about deliverance from hell and judgment to come. It's a message from God about the bliss and joy of heaven and home with Christ for all eternity. And that is a summary of the gospel. And you know that message is summarized for us here in Galatians. Look with me at chapter 1 again and look with me at the verse 3. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 4. Who gave himself for us that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now when he mentions the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 3 I want you to notice he tells us then something about Christ. Here's the gospel in a nutshell. Everything that we need to know as far as salvation is concerned is revealed. Paul's saying, here's the gospel I preach. You've got the plan of the gospel here. Think of the words in verse 4. According to the will of God. You see, God planned it all from before the foundation of the world. God planned it in eternity past. God took the initiative. God intervened without the intervention of God there'd be no gospel message God took the initiative to save fallen man think of John 3 and 16 for God what did he do so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life think of the principle of the gospel grace be to you And peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God is holy. And we are sinful. So why would God intervene on our behalf? Why would God take the initiative? What would motivate God to do that? And here's the answer. The grace of God. And what is grace? It's the undeserved, unmerited favour to criminals and lawbreakers. To to the ill-deserving sinner. To to the hell-deserving sinner. Think of the passion of the gospel. It says in verse 4, who gave himself. Well, pause there. That's a reference to Christ's death. The Lord Jesus Christ willingly and voluntarily not only come into this world but he came into the world on a mission of mercy to lay down his life for us in a once and for all atoning sacrificial death think of Paul's words Galatians 2 and 20 the son of God who loved me and what did he do he gave himself for me see it's a reference to Christ's sacrificial work and over there in John's gospel In John chapter 10 and in the verse um, 17, the Lord Jesus was able to say, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Paul could say in Hebrews 10 and 12, but this man, 
speaking of Christ, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. And you see, the gospel, as far as the ground of salvation is concerned, rests on Christ's sacrificial death and bloodshedding on Mount Calvary. And you've got the the precious life of Christ. He he lived a sinless life. And he died an atoning death. And the life of Christ and the death of Christ are linked inseparably. The perfect son became the perfect sacrifice. He gave himself unto death, even the death of the cross. Think of the price of the gospel. It's here, verse 4, who gave himself for our sins. Remember the prophet said he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Why did Christ die? Young people, boys and girls, why did he die? Very simple. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And it's a reference to the Old Testament. And I've quoted one of those references. And you've got to think of the price of the gospel. Think of the power of the gospel. He says that he might deliver us from this present evil world. From, from, from the, the corruption of the world. From, from the, the curse and the, 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 the contamination of the world. The Lord Jesus died in the tree. Shed his precious blood to save us from sin's penalty, sin's power and sin's pleasure. He, he, he died to deliver us from the wrath of a sin-hating God by, by bearing that wrath in his own body in the tree. He, he died to deliver us as well from this present evil world system. Christ can deliver. Christ does deliver. Christ is able. And I want you to notice it's not Christ plus anything. Who says that you need ritual and you need the ceremonies? And you need circumcision to be added to Christ. You know what that's saying? Christ is not enough. I need more. But Paul's message was no, Christ is enough. Christ is sufficient. Christ is all you need. It's not Christ plus the church and the ceremonies and the customs. Christ is all you need. Does the gospel work? Yes, it does. Notice the person of the gospel. The Lord Jesus Christ. That's a lovely title. It centers in him. Whose son is he? He's God's son. That brings in the life and the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Think of the praise of the gospel. Verse 5. To whom be glory forever and ever. And what does Paul say when he gets to that? Amen. Why throw in the amen? He's saying so let it be. Let's get sight of this. Let's let's take into our mind this plan. Let's hold this principle of grace close to our hearts. Think of the one who gave himself for us. Think of the price that he paid by the shedding of his blood for our sin. Think of his power to deliver us. Think of his person. This is God's son. Let's praise him. Let me ask the question this morning. Does Jesus Christ mean anything more? To you than anything else in the world. What if somebody says, I'll make you a millionaire? Or what about a billionaire? You could go and have tea or dinner with Donald Trump. What if I could make you the most famous person in the world? Where everybody the world over would know your name? 
What if I could make you the biggest and the best singer in the world? Or the best movie star? Or the greatest footballer in the world? Or the greatest boxer like Muhammad Ali? What if I could make you the brainiest person in the world where everybody would be saying, who's the smartest man in the world? And they're mentioning your name. What if you could have all that? Does Jesus Christ mean anything to you? More than this, than riches and fame and popularity? He ought to. Does he this morning? Have you got Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour? If you have, he's sufficient. He's all you need. He's enough. Notice one last thing. Think of the stand for the true gospel. You see, the wonderful thing is this. Paul not only recognised the false gospel, but he affirmed and announced the true gospel. And you see, just on the surface, without dealing with verses 7 through to 9, we say this. Paul knows that the gospel is worth standing up for. He's well aware that there's false teachers in Galatia who are trying to change the gospel. He's well aware that many don't like the true gospel that he has preached. But the gospel is nothing to be ashamed about. And we should be willing in our day to stand up for the gospel. We should be willing to speak up and speak out in love. Doesn't the Bible say, speak the truth in love? We're not to lose the rag. We're not to get into a bad temper. We're not to be spitting hairs at false teachers. We need to be respectful, careful even to our opponent. We've got to listen to what the false teacher or the opponent of the gospel is saying. We've got to be reasonable. We've got to have clear arguments. And we've got to realise that we've always got to point men to Christ. The key is, Spurgeon said, what think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? Is he God's son? the perfect son who became the perfect sacrifice. And if he is, then Christ must be sufficient and all you need. And if someone says, no, he's not sufficient, I need something else plus Christ, then that man's a false teacher and has got to be told to him according to the word of God. You see, if we had read on in Galatians 1 this morning, the wonderful thing is that Paul gave his testimony. After this announcement and affirmation of the gospel. Now you think of this as we close. What does Paul say there? Look at verse 8. But though we are an angel from heaven. Think of the church on a Sunday morning. It's gathered. They're, they're singing. They're maybe offering prayer. Let's say the minister's reading the Bible. And then all of a sudden there's an angel appears and says, I've got a message from God. And the angel starts to speak Certain things. But Paul says, suppose that angel comes and what he preaches is contrary to what I've told you. 
that Christ is enough, Christ is sufficient, Christ is all you need. If he says anything different, then don't receive him. Imagine that. You see, Paul is so gripped by the gospel that once he announced it, he affirmed the gospel, then he did something strange. He gave his testimony. You can read that testimony from chapter 1, verse 13, right down to verse 20. In other words, he was saying to this church, look, I was just like one of the Judaizers in your midst. I was zealous for my own Jewish religion. I lived for and loved my Jewish religion. I even persecuted the church because of my Jewish religion. I put people in prison. I, I, I condoned the death of Christians. I, I, I stood when they stoned Stephen. I followed the tradition of men. And then something happened. Listen to this. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to do what? To reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. In other words, when the Lord saved me by his grace, he revealed Christ to me. And from that day I've striven to win people to Christ by the power of the gospel. Paul loved Christ. He was loyal to Christ. He lived for Christ. He says, for me to live as Christ in Philippians and to die as gain. Because he was a new man with a new love and loyalty and a new life. Up to that point he'd been a dead, lifeless sinner without spiritual life. And then God worked a miracle of his regenerating power and brought Paul to repentance and faith in Christ. Paul says, from that day I have begun to live. I'm a living man. And because I've got new life in Christ, I've got this aim, this object, to see others saved. And what matters to Paul was the gospel. Paul not only knew the source and summarized the gospel in his head, but he stood for the gospel because he was a new man in Christ. And I'm asking this morning, I'm asking you as a church, I'm really making an appeal to the wider Protestant community, to rediscover the gospel. That we might love the gospel, be loyal to the gospel, and live for the gospel to the glory of God.